0: welcome back to the ancient health podcast where we educate you on real health solutions that will help transform the way you live feel and overcome disease naturally i'm your host courtney Versage, along with dr josh axe and dr chris motley we're so happy you've joined us let's dive into today's episode hey everybody welcome back you're listening to a mini podcast this is a him and hers episode which I'm so excited about because it's a mini episode, but it's not just me or Dr. Motley; it's both of us together. So this will be fun. Welcome.
1: This will be welcome. really fun. So you know. everybody, welcome to the Ancient Health Podcast. Courtney and I, or you know, we decided to do something that we could both have the him and her viewpoint. So, Courtney, what are we talking about today?
0: Yeah. Okay. So today. I really love this subject because I feel like I'm always trying to biohack. And so we're gonna talk about biohacks, but we're gonna look at the differences between men and women, because I think that most of the studies on biohacking tools are done, assuming that we're using them on men. In fact, like most studies just in general are done on men. So I think that that gives the women a disadvantage because we just expect that we're gonna have the same outcomes based on the research that's been done on some of the tools that are most known to us. And we talk about a lot of them on other episodes. We have a lot of experts that come in and give us deep dives on some of these. But this podcast, I think what I really want to accomplish is differentiating what these different tools are for different people so if you are a man and you're in your 50s what does that look like for you versus a woman that's maybe in her 30s and i think that utilizing those tools can be totally different and there's different applications and different outcomes Mm -hmm. that can be expected so if you're not looking at those questions and you're always just looking to maybe bring something in always consider what it is that you're trying to accomplish, number one. And, you know, if, if it is appropriate, what is the best application? And I think that's maybe where some people get misguided or just confused. Would you agree?
1: I do. I think when we hear the information that's out there that we can automatically assume that like using one technique or one uh, system is going to help everybody the same. And the bioindividuality, not just for the person themselves, but when we're talking about you know, male, female, it is something that I think can be missed. So I think that when we get into this realm of saying, like, how does this affect this person because she may not respond with her hormones or he may not respond with his type of hormones, I think it's gonna be a really good podcast. i think I think we deep dive into these a bit more, like even in the future podcast, I think the people out there would probably really appreciate because I mean, for instance, I could be at at the office and I can use an herb that will help with certain types of blood flow. And when I say blood flow, certain types like digestive blood flow or pulmonary or the lungs, and it really does respond differently when we talk, when we test a a lady versus a man. So this is something that is needed.
0: Yeah, totally. I also am looking to up the ante all the time. Like I'm, I am one to always be looking to improve things, even if it's just marginal improvements and you know we talk about foundations i think like that's probably setting the stage is if you're not addressing you know your water like making sure you have clean water like i wouldn't spend money on things like an aura ring or you know a red light panel like those are all great but if you're not filtering your water, if you're not buying organic food, if you're not doing some of the foundational pieces first, like prioritize those, make sure mm-hmm. that your actual living environment is conducive to a positive health outcome. Like if you mm-hmm. suspect maybe you've got toxicity or of mold of some sort that you're living in, or you've got chronic respiratory issues or something, and you haven't addressed air quality, I would look into that, like maybe run some labs or get some air filters or do a mold test, like make sure that you don't have because here's what I see is a lot of people struggling to get results and they're spending all of this money on these expensive tools and therapies that by themselves are great, but they're not going to pull you out of a very sick, chronically ill state if you're living in a toxic environment. And there's a lot of people that fall into that category. I was one of them. Like We, we left a moldy house. So I'm, I, you know. And I promise you, there's not enough organic food and supplements that can help your body get out of that kind of situation. So always address foundations first. But what we're going to talk about are a couple of the tools that I actually really like. And then we're going to talk about men versus women. So maybe Mm -hmm. first up, let's just talk about fasting, because I feel like that's actually one of the greatest tools and you don't have to pay for it. Like that's, you know, nature, sun, all of these things that we kind of consider like biohacks. But they're available to us without an investment. So I think those are like Mm -hmm. the low hanging fruit because it doesn't require you to have to put forth a big financial investment in. So what do you think about fasting for men?
1: I think it works great. I've had patients, uh, men that have used intermittent fasting and found quite good results, especially when it comes into not only detoxification, but hormone rebalance. And when we talk about fasting, There may be some avenues where certain body types of men actually respond better to fasting than other body types. Now, I think that with the estrogen levels and testosterone levels, you know, the comparison of men and women definitely have a a big um, difference. But there are men body types that have more dominant estrogen, and some have more testosterone, and some have more thyroid hormone. But when we're talking about fasting, I usually see that there are certain types, genetic types, that it will actually benefit them more. So some individuals need to do a keto diet. Some individuals need to do a paleo diet. But to answer the question, I think fasting, if a person has more estrogen dominance as a man, and if you have some that are more adrenaline driven, like if they're adrenal types, like big muscular, have a lot of water retention in their muscles, they can definitely benefit from fasting. To get down the nerd aspect of it, if you can train your body at certain time frames to help detoxify the cells, because people out there may have heard of autophagy or cellular recycling. Now, that's right, girl. When you talk about if a person's lived in a very toxic environment, those individuals where they have mold, where they have plastics, maybe they have heavy metals, maybe they have cellular debris, depending on how they are raised, you're going to see really good results For the male to actually clean them out now the biggest thing that I often find with men is that if they have higher estrogen dominance um, if they've had too much buildup of certain types of toxicity those are the ones I always advise that they do the intermittent fasting for weight and metabolism I think most all the patients that I put on the men that I put on there has had some benefit now for me, like I've done intermittent fasting. I'm a thyroid body type. As a male, what does this do for us? Like for a male, like thyroid body type, I'm already thin. Should I be fasting? Now, I say I have to be very careful. <laughs> and you know that I have to be very, very cautious about that. I'm not so,
0: going to interject with my personal thoughts on this. But. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I mean, but I would say like for men, yes, I think it's a very beneficial aspect of it. and I And I really... I think that I probably shouldn't do that much. That's why I mean, my genetic type probably should not do much because I don't have much to um, basically <laughs> feed off of. However, whenever I've gone under the, um, the sickness of Lyme disease, yes, I, was, I needed to eat more to keep, get more calories. However, I did need some times of fasting to actually get some of the cellular toxicity out of my body. So when we're talking about libido, when we're talking about healing the heart, when we're talking about actually cleansing the liver and kidney, I think it's a really great thing for men and women to do, but for uh, men in general to actually help with, you know, most men are really concerned about libido and muscle growth and yeah. intermittent fasting for certain types can really help that. And I hope that was, that was really long-winded girl, but I i hope that wasn't
0: too no, much. That's great. What about testosterone? Because, you know, there's all this stuff coming out now about like, you know, sperm count being so low, and we're seeing like patterns where there's low testosterone in men. Is there any influence of fasting on the hormone of testosterone?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of studies, in, and I've seen in the office where uh, sperm count, because if we're talking about where they're produced, definitely in the testes, there can be high affinity for certain types of microbes, plastics, and heavy metals yeah. that will congregate usually around the testes or around the tubules down in that area. Now, when it accumulates, the hard part is that it can actually get into the prostate. And the prostate can be a hotbed. And I mean, figuratively and literally, it can get very inflamed. And so the reason that most uh, infections or microbes, they say like that area is because there's a lot of blood flow. Truly, right? There's a lot of blood flow for whenever you get erections such. And like in the testes, when they at certain times of the month, they really get larger. But uh, infections know it's a free meal. And so there are certain types of microbes, like certain types of yeast and certain types of bacteria that are there to help clean house. But if we eat sugars, we eat starches, we eat the refined carbohydrates, those can actually cause them to overgrow. So if we have viral infections as well, whether it be Epstein-Barr or some type, you know, it could be a herpes viruses, things like that, that that are in those areas, they can get into the cell. And so you have to start to do the intermittent fasting. And what the cool thing is, is that they're showing that whenever you do intermittent fasting, the infections basically starve or they're going to go out and look for food. So they'll make their way outside of the cell trying to find the next meal. And so they'll push out. So sperm count, right, can actually increase because you actually are providing more free space within the testes or within that area. And in fact, whenever you can get the fasting to um, be a common thing, think about heavy metals. Heavy metals will clog up a cell. If you can help create autophagy or the recycling, you can let loose of the metals and that's very important because if we take B vitamins, C vitamins, any type of vitamin or mineral, we need to be able to get it into the cell. Yeah. So when you, when you can do that, you're actually going to feed the cells to actually make more sperm. So I find that that's going to be one of the biggest things that I've seen with my patients that have had like infertility issues or low sperm motility or low, low sperm count. I say that's something we need to check into because when I check somebody for like B vitamins – or D vitamins, you'll see that some individuals cannot absorb a lot of it. Yeah. And when you start to do a like the recycling, autophagy, the, the fasting, you start to see the infection start to leave. Maybe I add a few herbs and minerals in there. Um, but you'll you'll notice that their energy levels go up. They'll have a urine that smells like metals. They'll taste metals. And so we're starting to see like, I see a turnaround in these individuals where, I mean, they'll have, usually they'll get, Pregnant with their wives, you know, they'll get, they'll get their wives pregnant within, I'm not saying this happens to everybody, but don't average about six months Yeah, um, because it's a big thing. Like I've seen individuals that were, um, that were farm, farm people that like farmers and such, and they have been around pesticides Yeah, and literally all of them have low sperm count that have handled it. It's most of them. Yeah.
0: Well, and now that's like, that's just the world we live in because everything is so contaminated. And so I think that fasting is a is a tool that you should have kind of in your arsenal and but use it appropriately. And so I think that's a really good perspective. Like men have a much more tolerant threshold for fasting than women do, Where especially cycling women. So if you are perimenopause, menopausal, like you can pulse the the you, you've got a, a, a little bit more leverage on the fasting than women that don't that are ovulating having normal cycles because those hormones are highly um they're highly influenced by stress and so if you push Mm. the fasting a little too hard you're going to drive the adrenals you're going to push more stress hormone and that's going to suppress all of your sex hormones and then you're going to have dysregulated cycles and you're going to feel terrible so here's my here's my women's take on fasting Mm -hmm. I I like to fast, but I'm super strategic with it. So here are the here are the the circumstance, the, the situations in which I I would incorporate a fast. Now I am also in my 30s, late 30s. And I can still say it because I'm technically in my 30s. But <laughs> so I you know have a regular cycle. So this is I'm speaking to the person you know the female that is cycling like in those you know fertile years. Okay, circuit like instance number one would be in my follicular phase so this is the first two weeks of my cycle i can push workouts really hard i don't really ever exceed 14 hours though so when i say fast it is intermittent fasting and i would say 13 to 14 hours 14 being the absolute max for me because i do want to support the workouts i do need to have enough for recovery otherwise like I know if I go beyond that, I I start to tank. Like my body starts cannibal, like everything kind of starts to shut down and start to feel terrible. And then on the backside, I end up being tired and having cravings. So I know my threshold, but that's that's the window of time. The other time is when I'm sick. So I, you know, if you don't feel good, that is the time to be doing a lot of like broths or stews, soups, things that are high and like rich in minerals and collagen and gelatin, things that help support the gut lining. That's mm-hmm. a great time, but honestly, let your immune system and your body not spend energy digesting food and let it work towards fighting a virus. So, the more you can, and honestly, your energy is going to go down too, right? Your thyroid plays a role in telling your body, hey, we're going to reduce energy, we want you to mm-hmm. chill out, we want you to relax. Because we need to take care of this virus we need to clean this up out of your body but if you're running around and you're eating big meals you're making it harder for yourself so i think that fasting can be really appropriate when you are sick that would be um uh, another instance in which i think the other one would be like travel so if you know that you are having a high exposure to toxins so if you're flying like i do my best to try and fast on flights obviously if you're on like a really long flight you're gonna need to eat but i always try to make sure that that's a time where i'm taking lots of binders i'm doing a lot of um extra supplements even like um uh nutrients for liver support so like you mentioned b vitamins things like that and herbs milk thistle is really great i'll do all of those extra detox and do a lot of hydration because the kidneys are going to help to move a lot of those those toxins out so that's another instance in which Mm -hmm. i feel like you can kind of biohack a little bit with the fasting. So just remember, use it with your cycles. Cycle sync with fasting. Use it appropriately when you're sick. Know that your body has to conserve energy and utilize the energy to fight a virus, so you don't want to be adding extra work to the body. Obviously if you're hungry, eat something, but make it cooked. Like make it something easy for your body to digest. Do like white rice or something, you know, with with some bone broth. That's always a great option and maybe some protein. And then and then if you're traveling, you know, you're getting like fumes and you know the um flame retardants like all the stuff that's in like airports and stuff that you're being exposed to like that's a lot plus the radiation like it's a lot for your body to manage so the more it can just focus on clearing that stuff out of your body the more you're going to be able to recover you're not going to really feel the impacts of it you won't see the headaches and the fatigue and kind of the poor digestion or slow digestion so those are kind of the three ways that i biohack
1: Mm -hmm. i love it I think that, you know, I love the way you talked about how you didn't push it past the 13, 14 hour mark. Um, I think that when your body normally, when somebody is intermittent fasting and not saying the person who's intermittent fasting, male or female is like abusing sugars, but a lot of times uh, it's forgotten that sugars or any type of refined sugars, starches or carbs, if there's not enough aerobic activity will be eventually turned into fats. And so it's really good that when a person goes to a certain level that they know that they can't push their body too quickly because you'll revert back to old habits. Like you'll want more sugars for more energy. So you have to have that happy medium. And I think too, that when intermittent fasting is coming for men or women, I think there's a very, can I say spiritual aspect of it too? I think that emotionally that people who are doing intermittent fasting have often referred, uh, told me that there are dreams, there are thoughts, there are ideas that come up in my brain while I'm doing this. And the more I researched fasting, that an individual who basically denies themselves the food, that actually intaking something or trying to process something can actually trigger parts of their brain in the past where they thought, oh, I wasn't able to process this food i wasn't able to process this relationship i wasn't able to intake the care that i was that was given to me or the non-care given to me by my family so not only does fasting help individuals with their metabolic lives but it really helps them with their spiritual lives yeah. and i think that we need to like look into how they used to use prayer and they would say well i'm going to give myself into fasting i'm going to give myself what so that I don't have to think like you said about everything else so there's a lot of good benefits and i think that the emotional aspect is is something that we have to keep an eye on
0: yeah i don't know that that's ever that's really talked about as much anymore it's interesting like fasting kind of came back on the scene but it was very much like targeted with it it almost came you know with the keto movement and Mm -hmm. when it was like okay everybody's gonna eat like slabs of bacon and sticks of butter and then lose like twenty pounds overnight and not be hungry ever. So, but again, like we you know, we didn't really talk about the emotional and you know, fasting has been around. You know, fast Jesus fasted. So it's gotta be good for us guys.
1: It's gotta be good. It's gotta be good. There's a lot of aspects of it. It's just like anything. You can do moderations a little bit to the extreme, but you know, yeah. For me, I'm a more of a moderate guy. You're more of an extreme gal. Like it, you know what I mean? It's like
0: I'm not extreme. You know? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs>
1: For all of you guys who are just listening to this, you got to see my face. It's the face that goes, Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, okay. <laughs> you know, somebody, somebody's got to push the throttle and just see what happens. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm, I'm volunteering to be that person. Uh, okay, so uh, you know, we're recording this on a Friday night, and it is it is 830 Eastern. And so, oh
1: yeah, we're getting and- there. We got, we got a couple more subject matters, but we want to make sure this is good for everybody. Yeah. But I, maybe one more, what do we, what's the next one, girl? This is good. I know it's, <laughs> it is late, but I'm- it's like, but if people want to know, like I just got done at the office and Courtney's like waiting for me to jump on. And I'm like, I'm just now getting done. And then it's Friday night and I'm like, I really, I'm, I'm actually almost in ketosis right now. Cause I really hadn't eaten much. So I'm like, you know, but my brain's on fire in a good way, a good fire.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a good fire. If, if things start to implode over there, you just let me know we can, can (laughs) you know, I actually wasn't feeling that great. And so I, I did have some bone broth, but then I decided I really just needed some dark chocolate because I'm in my luteal phase. So I was like, (laughs) I'm going to, I'm, my dinner is bone broth and chocolate,
1: some chocolate I'm in my luteal phase.
0: All right, I I say that all the time. If I, so I shouldn't even record podcasts in my luteal phase. This is just another thing too. Ladies, just know your cycle. Set realistic expectations. You know, this is my second podcast hey, today and I just, I, I'm, I'm doing the best I can, but my you're body. You're
1: doing great. Come on now. It's great. Wait, it's like, well, we're going to get, let's do this. We'll get, we'll get there. It's going to
0: be great. <laughs> we are doing great. But all that to say, you know, here's the thing. I think Dave Asprey said this, that women are like the ultimate biohackers because we constantly have to adjust on the fly based on our hormones alone. So men don't have this, you know, we're, I'm not saying we're superior, but I'm just saying that we have this other element that we have to face, which is the fact that every single day of the month, our hormones look a little different and the way they influence our brain chemistry and how we feel is different. So Mm. that is a lot. And if you don't learn to master that and work with your body, if you just fight it, or you feel like it's a hassle, like it is, you're, you're not going to be able to experience, like you're going to end up having several days or if not weeks of the month that are just miserable for you. So Mm -hmm. learn to use some of the tools to support you, but also like have grace for yourself too. Like you, you're not supposed to be superhuman and, you know, be producing every single day in the same capacity. It can, it should look different. Um, and we've talked about that in different episodes, but here's another one that I want to talk about because I think it's really important and I think it's, it's oftentimes more frequently found with men that they're they're more willing to do this than women, so that's why I want to bring it up. But that is creatine. So creatine, uh, should I let you go first with the men? I mean, I love creatine. No, go,
1: great. So go for it. I, I want to hear. I love this. This is great.
0: So creatine is an amino acid, and it's honestly kind of like it's like the bro hormone. <laughs> like like the bodybuilders. Like I just like picture you know going into planet fitness and it's like all the bros like lifting their weights doing their creatine right so like women are just probably thinking creatine um no thanks like that's not me and i'm not trying to get massive gains and be swole and not fit into my skinny jeans so here's the (laughs) thing though creatine is amazing for brain health and it's great for your bones it's great for your muscle it's great for keeping lean muscle on which gabrielle dr gabrielle Lyons, like she just wrote a whole book but everything she talks about is that Skeletal muscle is the long, that is the key to longevity, especially for women as our hormones start to change, perimenopause and menopause, it is so critically important that you keep good muscle mass on your body, like for your metabolism, for just honestly, for your, your structural body not to break down so that you physically mm-hmm. have the capacity mm-hmm. to do things in you know later years, past your 50s and 60s. So I love creatine, I use about five grams a day I do work out, but even if you're not like lifting heavy weights, you could be doing creatine. Here's the biohack, though. And I didn't know this until I looked this up. I can't remember who it was. Now, it may be like Ben Greenfield that I heard this from. Or maybe it was Dave Asprey. I don't know. One of those like biohackers. And they were talking about using creatine when you're under recovered. And they were like, one of the best times to use it is when you have a really terrible night's sleep or you're traveling or you've got jet lag. Or you coming off a cold like you're just your body is under under recovered that's the best time to use creatine and you can mm-hmm. even dose it a little bit more in those in those hours or the days following as you're recovering than a maintenance dose i would say maintenance dose like four to five grams and it's honestly creatine monohydrate is creatine monohydrate like people will ask like what brands like just make sure it doesn't have anything else in it. If that's what it is, then that's what it is. Um, But it's easily digestible. It's utilized for the brain and for muscle tissue and so many other things. It's such an important amino acid. So I love using it. And when I am you know, up with the baby in the middle of the night or I just sleep terribly, I always make sure I have creatine. So I even will double down on it the next day. And I do notice improvements, improvements in my blood sugar, in my ability to make it through the day, doing everything I need to do without the wheels falling off. So those are my thoughts. I'll pass it on. Oh. Um,
1: I, I think that creatine works really well for my patients and for uh, men in general. I really look at creatine as something that has a lot to do with their liver methylation. There are some times when uh, I have young guys that come in and they literally want to get so swole so fast and they are like literally no joke 12 13 years old and their primary care doctors are like no you should not be taking creatine and and no way am I telling anybody as a teenage boy to go to creatine I but I have found that um, men they will absorb creatine really well because you say the brain health bone health and it also can be used primarily I mean not primarily but heavily in the liver to help not only the liver function but the liver function in itself will help the individual absorb the creatine and there was some of those um, reports back in the past and maybe in recent they said well you know too much creatine is bad for your body and this is where times when we look at some reports and what i've seen patients have is that if they have a really strong liver if their liver works really well they will gain muscle very well and and i agree that Muscle and joint stability is a very huge function for your longevity. And the reason I like creatine or anything that builds muscle or bone mass is because when they say that the bones bring life, it's true, like your bone marrow. And the bone marrow, we often forget that muscle becomes bone. Muscles literally become tendons and they're engrafted into your bone. When your kidneys are tired, you're not going to build your bone strength. What that means to me is anything that could add into the strength of your bones into your muscle mass will help with and aid the strength of the kidneys, which in Chinese medicine is like basically your jing, like you're basically your, your vital force. So my take on it is that you always have to find a very clean source, of course, of creatine. If you do take creatine as a male and you don't see the gains, like I'm not getting muscular mass, you have to look towards the liver. Get the liver cleansed out. So what would I suggest? I wouldn't mind somebody getting a liver methylation test. But for herbals, I say schisandes is a really good choice. I think that males, usually in our culture today, we eat too much sugars, we eat too much carbs, we eat bad fat, so there's going to be sludge built up. And I like Philanthus or Bodyguard. Those are supreme. Bodyguard, supreme. Philanthus herb is a stone breaker, so those will help clean out your liver. And I love, like you said, milk thistle. For for the male, I also say that if you're going to use an amino acid, again, male and female, Make sure that the liver and the kidneys are very clean. The better those are cleaned out, the stronger and the bigger muscles you'll get. So I think it can work for many individuals. Now, I will say this, though. The nerd aspect of me goes, okay, why would creatine not work really well? There are certain genes that would help you process creatine well. That's why it may not work for some individuals. So if it doesn't work well for you, you may have some liver methylation issues. So that's my take on it. I think it's great, though. of course, looking at me, I probably need to, you know, eat like 52 grams in a day. <laughs> I probably need to take a bath in it. I've, I've looked at the creatine plunge. I have often <laughs> um, considered, you know, maybe creatine enemas, maybe some suppositories. <laughs> now,
0: listen, that's my territory. You know, I'll try anything with <laughs> an enemas, so... <laughs>
1: Oh, that was a joke, guys. Do not do creatine enemas or suppositories. That was all a joke on that part. Yeah. <laughs> but that is Courtney's ter- territory.
0: That's so true. You know. I love, you know, I love a good enema. I mean, talk about a biohack. That's I, the other <laughs> day. I remember telling you I did. I I was doing, okay, now this, this is what I learned. Okay, because this is all a learning experience. But I decided, I was like, I have a couple hours. The kids, I didn't have, the kids were asleep. So I didn't have to take care of them. And I was like, 8pm i'm going to do the sauna and then i'm going to do an enema and a castor oil pack at the same time and let me tell you my liver was it was juiced up and feeling real good you know but my brain was not about to go to sleep and so for the following Probably five hours, I just laid there in bed. I was like, and then I had this weird dream about chicken nuggets. It was like so bizarre. So, anyway, that's that's where we are. It's
1: well, always- I'm, you remember if you do that much, though, it's like it's a good thing. But you know, in Chinese medicine, t- clock time, it's like you did basically did that in the times when you're supposed to be yeah. re energizing and healing the ovaries. So you took all that energy and now you're like, I'm going to push it all to the liver. And your ovaries were like, wait a minute. I needed energy.
0: I don't need your judgment right now. (laughs) I'm
1: not judging. I'm just saying.
0: I was trying trying to do all the the self-care because I felt like, I'm gonna, you know, take an hour and do this. But again, it backfired. So I can't say that I recommend that <laughs> that combo won't be doing it again in the near future. I love all of them. I will not be doing them all together at eight o'clock at night. So
1: oh man. Okay, good. okay
0: so here's the other thing I want to talk about. Let's talk about blood sugar because mm-hmm. there are a number of things that can dysregulate our blood sugar. And I think that there's so many people that have really dysregulated blood sugar and they don't even know it and they just think i have an energy problem you know i eat and then i crash and i feel tired no you just have a blood sugar problem and and a lot of things can contribute to your blood sugar response primarily stress i mean obviously what you eat Mm. plays the biggest role but the other thing is like the stress going on in the background of your life because that's driving Mm. cortisol and cortisol and insulin have a very delicate relationship but that's it's it's going to drive that insulin response way up so you're going to have these exacerbated um peaks and spikes in blood sugar and then your body's going to have a hard time trying to manage and bring it back down and when it comes back down that's when you start to feel all the cravings and you're like oh my gosh like. I was fine five minutes ago and now i'm hangry like i really need Mm -hmm. you know to eat and then you end up overeating or eating too fast and your digestion is off you didn't produce enough enzymes and now you're bloated and your stomach feels terrible so it starts this cascade of breakdown so let's talk Mm -hmm. about blood sugar for a minute because Here's the thing, biohacking world, you can get a CGM. I've worn them, I think it's awesome. If you can do it, I think it's worth maybe trying a CGM like twice a year or once a quarter, just for a week or two to see where you're at because you'll start. every season looks different for every single person. So for me, it's important just to see every season, hey, how is my body responding? Because maybe there are some underlying stress factors that I'm not aware of that is making my blood sugar respond um, unfavorably and that I can control. So I just have to be able to evaluate it. But the CGM is helpful in doing that. You, absolutely by no means need to wear one all the time unless you're diabetic and you and rely on that tool but can,
1: the cgm is for the for the people listening what like it what can you tell them what that means yeah, so yeah yeah
0: i know i'm going so fast right now i have no caffeine in my system but here we are so the cgm <laughs> is a continuous glucose monitor and so this is like this is what you'll see like you know diabetics will wear this but it basically gives you a live reading instead of having to prick your finger and take a small blood sample to get your blood sugar this is actually now it's like in your arm for two two weeks it's you know it's like a little patch you basically stick it in it's this tiny filament it's not even like a needle um and it doesn't even go into the bloodstream it's like interstitial um and so it doesn't even hurt going in but once it's in it basically syncs up to an app on your phone and it gives you live readings of your blood sugar so that's what's great Mm -hmm. because you can see As soon as you wake up what your blood sugar is your fasted state and then you can start to see immediate responses after meals call those postprandial so oftentimes you'll start to see even if you go for a walk immediately your blood sugar will start to come back down so that's what's really cool because it does give you when you start to see it when you start to see the numbers you're like oh my gosh like certain foods are real triggers for my blood sugar and certain foods that do maybe have a higher glycemic index maybe, but they're more natural, you know, somebody, uh, they may, a banana may spike them, but the next person could have a banana and like, they're totally fine. So it's mm-hmm. learning what those triggers are in those foods. But like I said, it's also learning patterns. Like maybe you you have really poor, you know, blood sugar response later in the day, but the morning you tend to do it fine. I would ask yourself why, like, what are you doing during the day, what's happening, you know, up until that point. So it just gives you some some more information to work with so you can make decisions on the fly. Um, but here's the thing. How do you biohack with blood sugar? Because if you're not wearing a CGM and that's not possible for you, which I get that for a lot of people. So here's a little tip for me, for the ladies. I know that again, if my sleep is terrible, I, or I go to bed really late, then my blood sugar is naturally going to not be as sensitive. Like I'm not going to be as insulin sensitive the next day, which means Mm -hmm. that when I have a meal, I'll likely have more of a spike i will likely have more cravings throughout the day i'm not i'm just not going to be able to regulate as well because my cortisol is dysregulated right because now my circadian rhythm is off i didn't recover entirely so that is a time where i try to make decisions about my meals eating protein first like not just having naked carbs like that is going to set you up Mm -hmm. for a massive roller coaster ride you don't want to do that so have protein first have some good fats and then have some carbs on the side also sometimes it It may or may not, I would say it depends on the person. Fasting can often backfire when you are under recovered and your blood sugar is a little bit all over the place. I personally respond better if I have really balanced meals, but I have them like three to four hours apart. And that way my body is getting enough fuel and I can kind of stay at a good baseline instead of a high and then a low, and then a high and then a low. So on those days, that's when I say, okay, for blood sugar, I want to make sure that i'm getting good meals i'm not snacking all day but i'm getting good meals in a timely manner so that i'm not craving and then binge eating on a bunch of food that i end up regretting and going to bed and feeling even worse at the end of the day um also Mm -hmm. blood sugar if you didn't sleep well i would not you know push a hard workout the next day so i would get out in nature i would try to ground i would try to get as much sun as possible light in your eyes help your body recover that that will make such a big difference in your blood sugar response, than just trying to push through and do everything the way that you normally would. So just a little hack on the CGM blood sugar combo. What you got?
1: Oh, I, I think that you covered it really well. I mean, that when you use those, um, levels like levelshealth.com, yeah. they have a really good, um, glucose monitor and For men in general, when you start to see um, people or guys that are pre-diabetic, when they become insulin resistant, uh, they start to notice that if they're the adrenal body type, they start getting the weight gain, the tire around the waist. If they're a thyroid body type, if they start to become a little insulin resistant, they start getting a lot of weight gain around the neck. um, They'll start getting uh, weight gain in like upper arms and upper legs. And If you're estrogen dominant, you know, you can have uh, weight gain overall. And I think that when you can find the foods that actually spike your insulin, that spike your sugars, I think it's really interesting because uh, one of my friends found that he could eat potatoes and potatoes would not spike his blood sugar at all. Whereas everybody says don't eat potatoes because it's really bad for your blood sugar so it's important for everybody out there i talk to the guys that come into the office like you actually need to find out what you could actually eat with the monitor because your motivation's key when we talk about losing weight or speeding up your metabolism blood sugar is so important because in our day and age we've basically been trained at a very young age to think that you know coca-cola and um sweets and things are normal and it should be part of our lives for heaven's sake we just have certain holiday that says go around and ask people for candy and and (laughs) just go at it and you're like well you know hello diabetes and i don't say i mean it's really um when we say blood sugar if we're talking about the function of the pancreas and spleen remember this if you eat like say half a bowl of ice cream and you're consuming more than 22 to 24 grams of sugar in a half a bowl of ice cream They say that it can reduce the functionality and the response of your spleen by almost 86%. That's what they say. So what does your spleen do? Your spleen is there to help you with the production of white blood cells and red blood cells and to filter your lymph. So when you're sick and you eat, oh, you had your tonsils taken out. Let's give you ice cream. Well, heavens, you're going to tell your body, instead of making white blood cells and red blood cells to increase your immune, now I've got to go help the pancreas create enough amylase to break down the sugars in my stomach. So, if you have sugars all day, every day, I'm getting on a soapbox here, you literally are consistently telling your immune system to what? Tank. And so, it's not going to function. Man or woman, it's not going to function. And so, then you get into this cold season, and this sick season, and then you get cold, and you start to have viruses, and you think, oh man, This is like not going well for me. I chronically get sick three times during the winter months. So not only does it affect your immune system, you won't digest your sugars properly, and it'll affect how much you actually create enough enzymes. Like you just said, you'll start to find leaky gut issues. Yeah. So when you monitor the foods that actually raise your blood sugar, you're not just saying, oh, it's going to make me keep from having diabetes. No, you're helping with your immune system. And you'll eventually help with your reproductive system because if your blood sugar is out, like Courtney just said, cortisol levels and insulin levels are directly correlated to what? How well you produce testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. So it's very important to to me. And I think also when we're talking about the blood sugar issues in our culture today… You're going to see more individuals that have swollen tonsils, swollen lip nodes because the throat gets totally congested. Why? The stomach meridians and the pancreas meridians, which is the spleen stomach meridians, literally run right through the throat. You're going to have chronic mucus, chronic congestion, and you're going to have tonsil issues all the time from eating too much sugar. So when any time a patient comes, I say this lovingly. They're like, well, I really want my body to get a little healthier. I want to build more muscle for a male. And I want to be able to have good, you know, a good family and have children. I'm like, if you're not willing to keep your blood sugar low, it's going to be a very hard process. So, um, there's lots of good, you know, blood sugar, you know, maintenance, like, you know, people always use chromium or cinnamon. I love ginseng. I love American ginseng. I love rosemary. Those are two of my top uh, choices. And anything that cleans the liver out, like, you know, like you say, milk thistle or schisandra, those are basic choices. But look into American ginseng and look into rosemary that I've seen that do wonders. And I'm sorry if I got a little adamant about that, but that's the importance (laughs) of blood sugar.
0: I just want to know, how many kids did you take candy from when they came and knocked on your door? Did you take, did you take candy from kids? They're like, trick or treat. No, I, like, give me that candy, you little pre-diabetic.
1: You know, I don't even, I don't even, yeah. I didn't say that. Don't you, if you were going to say say that, I said, I didn't say that at all. I didn't even, I wasn't even home on Halloween. I, I get, I mean, yeah. What day was that? I can't remember. It was but,
0: a Tuesday. I remember. Yeah, I,
1: I, I don't, I don't give candy out. I just can't out of my yeah. conscience, I can't do it. I,
0: I can't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll give out like, like you know, healthy brands of it's like paleo puffs. <laughs> Kids are definitely not beating my door down because you know they're like, "What is what is this cassava root?" This lady's trying to give us uh, totally. And I
1: and I, I think it's great. I mean, I'm not putting down anybody does give out candy. I just like for me, I just I mean, but I I get you. I'm like, if there was healthier choices, I wish I had that when I was a kid because we just ate corn syrup and genetically modified I, stuff. So yeah,
0: we all grew up on oh. that. You know, I grew up on Vienna sausages. Like what? Kind oh, of I did too. Foods? My
1: grandfather, yeah. We used to call it potted dog meat. That's what my grandfather used to call it. So we'd eat that on the on the river when we were fishing. Wow.
0: Memories. Those were the oh, days we didn't know what we were doing. We were just living living our best. Living a dream. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I was gonna add something to that. Okay, yeah, here it is. It just came back to my brain so uh i wanted to ask you some of those herbs because i love digestive bitters and i think that that can also be really helpful or even apple cider vinegar before a meal so if you know hey i'm gonna likely be more insulin you know i'm probably more insulin um uh like i'll probably have a poor response like just if you know you're tired you know i mean i know that i know that it doesn't matter what i eat like i'm probably gonna be more resistant and i'm i'm just gonna have a poor blood sugar response so I will do bitters, like orange bitters, cinnamon, like you said, um, and even apple cider vinegar can be really helpful. They've studied that to actually show that it does blunt the blood sugar effect. Are Mm -hmm. some of those herbs like rosemary and other ones that you mentioned, are those best taken before or after a meal? Like if somebody were to try that?
1: I usually try to take it like after a meal. I think that the effects are just as good because ginseng and rosemary are food. You know, so I just tell patients after you take it, after you eat your meal, just throw them in there and wash it down. Yeah. So um, I see that once you build up the herbs in the blood over time, it's just like they'll, the constituents of it stay to blood. So if you do it for a few days in a row, you'll start noticing that really helps with your blood sugar and to keep it really, really stable, too. So yeah, yeah. I do love those, too. And I I always like to use spices as well. Like you like yeah, you know, apple cider vinegar, like with the spices, you know. So yeah. Um. Cook That's with uh, or use cinnamon as much as you can without getting, you know, getting over uh, filled with it. Um, you know, my mom has diabetes and she's gotten to where she can keep it at a very low level like her blood sugar um, because we would use different types of mineral content and certain spices. So, and I just do it when, when you eat meal. It's no problem at all.
0: Yeah. It's great. So it's great. there's other
1: herbs. If you were asking, like there's a lot of... One thing is that I always find is that if you clean out the spleen and pancreas, for the people listening, don't get overwhelmed. We're, I'm not trying to overwhelm. We're not trying to overwhelm you. But remember, if you've ever had pancreatitis or if you've ever had mono, if you've ever had an infection that got into the spleen or the pancreas area, those can affect how well you produce insulin and how well you handle cortisol. So I always ask the patient, I ask them in their history, have you ever had mono have you ever had dry mouth where you don't feel like you have enough saliva in the mouth? I ask him which teeth have had chronic cavities, the stomach, uh, spleen teeth, and neurological tooth chart. When you add those up, then I start to look into different types of herbs that would help clean out gently the spleen and the pancreas, which yeah. I think if you say two gentle herbs would be Chinese skullcap or Elysium, which is star anise. So, so you guys listening out there? Gentle ones are Scutellaria, which is Chinese skullcap, which c- children can use as well, and Elysium. So, cleaning out the spleen and the um, and the pancreas is pretty vital to help balance your blood sugar. I've seen individuals that they didn't really necessarily take an herb for their blood sugar, but they started kill, like cleaning up all the infections, and their blood sugar went right back down. Like cleaning That's up so the parasites as well.
0: Yeah, it's funny, but like hearing about other organs too, because you know you want to talk about blood sugar, people are just going to talk about the pancreas and like nobody's going yep. about the spleen. So I think no. that that's an important thing to like and correlate.
1: That's exactly right. And they, they forget about the kidneys. They always say about my eyes and such, but I'm like, if your kidneys get basically hardened by excess sugars and tubules do too, um, you're going to find out that a lot of like, then your homocysteine levels can go up and homocysteine can actually harden your kidneys. So we can't just look at the pancreas and the spleen. You got to look at all the other things, like how much do you urinate? Uh, do I have chronic UTIs? Then that means that the kidneys they have to be cleaned out, and it, it helps with the filtration of the, the sugars to get that out of your system. So, yeah, don't look at just one, like you just said. We have to look at yeah. the whole system. Yeah.
0: Well, and utilizing some of these will help. Like if you if you were to use fasting periodically when it, when it's the most appropriate for you you know and and then monitoring blood sugar and maybe adding some of these herbs in to support digestion and also blunting that blood sugar response like going for walks getting in nature like these are all hacks like these are all things that like if you if you start to sense that hey you know there are certain red flags popping up like I'm brain fogged I'm tired I'm having cravings like those are the signs like it's not those are not just symptoms that those are that like those are the signals that hey you can use tools like that's what i think about like biohacking ultimately being how can i use some of the things that i know help my body heal help my body find balance how do i strategically pick the right ones at the right time and i think where Mm -hmm. we just get bogged down is thinking like well, here's my lineup today. I've got to have my collagen smoothie. And then I got to sit in front of the red light panel and then I've got to work out, then go to the sauna, then, you know, cryo three times a week and cold plunge. You're like, we just, it's like, Oh, wait, what point do we draw the line? Like at what, at what point do we say we can't even do anything else? Cause we're too busy. Like trying to do all these therapies. I think the best thing to do is to really figure out what's your body need and how do you access those things? in real time when your body needs it, because you don't need it all all the time. Like take my experience of the whole coffee enema castor oil sauna situation. I thought I was doing myself a giant favor, the ultimate backfire when I couldn't sleep the rest of the night. So that was a lesson learned and I know better, but I still did it. And now I'm talking about it. But maybe it maybe it will serve somebody
1: Yeah, it's um, trying to use the biohacking secrets. Um, I think that there's so many good ones that are out there is because there's so many individual tweaks we can put on it. And I think it is the journey to find out which ones um, affect you the most. And I think that you need to utilize those biohacking secrets like you just talked about. The continuous glucose monitor is a very good, and heart rate variability and heart rate are very good monitors to use to – be an adjunct to the biohacking. So if you can learn how to use those and then use your biohacking secrets and go, oh, how did that affect my blood sugar? How did that affect my heart rate? And those are some simple, e- easy things you can do to say like, oh, I'm going to do a sauna. What did it do to your heart rate? What did it do to your blood sugar? And so you, when you start to listen to your body, you have these baselines and then you think, I like it because then you start to pay attention to how you feel like, oh man, when I did that, I felt really drained. I felt shaky inside. I felt this. And then you start to look at your blood sugar. Then you look at your heart rate and you go, oh, okay. So you start to get a better story of yourself. So biohacking is, you know, there's going to be tons of things that come towards you. Some people say do a cold plunge. Some acupuncturists don't do cold plunges because they say cold is the removal of heat and you need heat to bring life. But, there's some people that do really well with cold plunges. So I say like, look yeah. at your bioindividuality. try to find out what works for you.
0: I'm not, I, I hate the cold. So I'm, I wish that I could get behind it. I feel like maybe I would feel better, but I just hate it. I hate, I hate being cold. So, and I'm pretty much willing to try anything. That is one. <laughs> I've done it twice and I hated it so much. I was like, not for me. Just not. I
1: I can do it okay. It doesn't bother me too bad, but it is, yeah, I can mm-hmm. do it though.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> But
1: I think that with everybody out there that's listening tonight, today or tonight, whenever you guys are listening to this, um, when we look at any type of new reference out there, just look at it. And me and Courtney are not telling you what to do. It's just that when you research, most people will say like this is gonna like they jump on it, say this is the thing that's gonna help this or that. Uh, This is going to make me lose this weight or to look this way. Just remember, look at, find out your body type, make sure that you understand your body type, whether it's Ayurvedic or in the Western medicine, like mesomorph, endomorph, ectomorph, let's not get complicated, but find out how you handle hormones and find out what hormonal body type you are. And that's going to be a big way for you to understand how you will uh, approach these biohacking secrets. It seems like a lot, but just study it. Study study the basics. Like you just said, good food, good water, good air, walking. Why? Because that affects every body type well. So before you start going down the road, like Courtney said, and trying to get all of these things in your house where you're thinking, I have the ultimate biohacking house, which is not bad, just do the basics first. Yeah, That's all we're saying. So
0: totally. we good. should do a part two, because I was just thinking that it would be really cool. Like there's so many little like branches of this that we could have a conversation about. But I'd love to do one where we talk about methylene blue, NAD, melatonin, and like other nootropics, like brain stuff, mm. like brain. Yeah, nootropics.
1: I mean, I think people are trying to heighten those things up. And I think the people who are out there are brilliant, you know, but really when you're talking about NAD and methylene blue, all they're trying to do is enhance their methylation. And
0: yeah. if you have
1: something where it really feeds all your methylation really well and your, you know, acetylation, if you do it in the right amounts, and right nutrients in the right amounts, you may not need as much NAD. You may not need as much in methylene blue, but we're a society that pushes it so hard yeah, that we have to have higher amounts. And now we're like, oh, I'm going to get a whole IV full of NAD. I was like, no, if you fed your Krebs cycle pretty well with all the nutrients, yeah. but most people like I find in our culture that we don't want it like we think we don't want to take too many things. And we don't want to take too little. So that's another conversation. So guys, sorry about that. There we
0: go. No, I, I think that's well, that's why I want to do it. Because I feel like, you know, we do it like we have, we're very consumeristic. I mean, I will be the first one to admit that I'm like, Yeah, methylene blue. Let's go. Like, okay, you know, what are all the what are all the forms in which I can take this? (laughs) Like, you know, and then it's like I'm a human guinea pig. Instead of looking at it as like, okay, but do I need it? How does how is my body going to utilize this? Like, are there kinks in the hose that are going to keep it from utilizing this well? That creates now more dysfunction than breakdown. Like, I don't. I'm not. I don't have the right genes turned on to be able to like. You know, make use of this. So I think it would be kind of cool to get your perspective mm-hmm. because they they are used therapeutically and oftentimes in really high doses. Like you said, like they're pushing these things even in IVs, and it's like like an NAD IV infusion is like hours, and it can be like it's like intense. I haven't it done
1: intense. It can be very painful at times, yeah. and I mean, like people can, but you know, because you're asking your body to absorb tons of that form of B three. And, you know, then you're trying to enhance your COMT cycles because that NAD is going to go in and try to start breaking down heavy amounts of estrogens. So it's going to be like utilized. But why would you need heavy amounts of NAD? Well, you may have a COMT gene defect. So what would help your COMT is to turn on your body's ability to absorb more D3 and K2. And that would only be brought on if you have the proper ability to absorb B9. So it's, you know, there's like, it's like, here's the quick fix. And I'm like, yeah, you're gonna keep going and get NAD all the time every week when yeah. you should be trying to cultivate this other gene. Any, but that's it's not for everybody because everybody's by individual. So yeah, um, I that's love i we gonna do
0: another one because I want to. I want to know all these things. You have to teach me.
1: It's
0: <laughs> gonna be good, guys. Part two. Be good. Stand part by. two. We'll, we'll do it. Part two, stay, guys. Because.
1: We got to go to bed. Great. We got to get some sleep. Like,
0: you know, starting to melt down. I hope that this podcast was fun. It was a little bit long-winded for our our mini podcast. but hey. 15 minutes, yeah. It's all right. An we, hour later. I know. That we should know better, honestly. Have we ever? Oh,
1: man. I haven't even eaten yet, guys. So I got to get like, I got some food soon
0: this poor man he's withering away so with that we're going to sign off until next time you guys i hope you're doing wonderful share this like it shoot us a dm let us know how we can better serve you and have a great well say evening. have a good
1: night have a good day
0: <laughs> all right bye guys hey dr axe here i want to say thank you so much for listening today if you enjoyed this episode make sure to like and subscribe the show so you don't miss a thing Also, if you're in search of more natural health content, you can follow us at Health Institute on Instagram or subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes below. Hey, thanks a lot and have a
1: blessed week.